0: You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new film, Bottle Shock, our guest today, director Randall Miller, tells the story of the early days of California winemaking featuring the now infamous blind Paris wine tasting of 1976 that has come to be known as The Judgment of Paris, starring Alan Rickman, Chris Pine, Bill Pullman, Rachel Taylor, Freddie Rodriguez, and Dennis Farina. Bottle Shock is screening nationwide and locally at the Edwards University Town Center Six. Randall Miller, welcome to Film School.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: Good, how are you doing today?
1: Pretty good, pretty good.
0: Now, when's the last bottle of wine you had?
1: Uh, I had a bottle of wine uh, two days ago.
0: And and uh, was it a California wine? I
1: had a California <laughs> Heights, uh, Heights Cellar, a nice Cabernet. It was very nice.
0: Very good. Yeah. Now, I, now had you... Did this uh open your mind to wine a little bit more making this movie Well,
1: it, the funny thing is my, my wife and I, Jody Savin, we, we, we write we wrote the script together and, and she produced and I direct and and we um, up until making this movie honestly we you know we enjoyed really good wine from mm. uh, from from friends, you know, who would who'd bring it over or we'd go to someone's house but generally we were the uh the twelve ninety nine and under at Trader Joe's variety type people.
0: Well, well, let me tell you, you can get some great wines you can. For, uh, at Trader Joe's for for a very small price, and that's and that's
2: I've a wonderful
1: from from ten ninety nine to twelve ninety nine. So you know, yeah.
2: amen. I'm yeah. just going to say amen since uh, <laughs> I'm gonna in the interest of full disclosure, I actually work at Trader Joe's. So oh, you do? okay, and, and and I just noticed uh, this weekend after I'd seen the film that we're selling Stag's Leap. Oh yeah, uh, uh, which I didn't know until I think yeah. we just picked, in, the, in the red category yeah, at the Paris uh, tasting. Do we do we want? Yeah, so <laughs> do we want to what plug the wine. Wine? No, no, never mind. All righty.
0: <laughs> how, how did you first run into this wine story? What what brought you to the, uh, the Paris, the Judgment of Paris?
1: Well, I mean, when we, Jody and I uh, grew up in the 70s, and um, our parents were both academics. Her, her dad was a professor at Yale, and mine, mine was a professor at Caltech, and my mom was at USC. And uh, and there was this moment that we remember in time where when company came over, they stopped drinking you know uh, French wine when company came over and started drinking California wine, and it was this—it was this thing that we just sort of both, you know, remembered. And um, and about a year ago, I mean, it really, really wasn't that long ago, maybe a year and a half ago now. Um, Jody and I had a movie that um, uh, that was playing at uh, the Sonoma Film Festival. That was called Marilyn Hotchkiss Ballroom Dancing and Charm School, and uh, and the people who run that festival, Mark and Brenda Lorimer. Screenplay uh, for for this uh, this concept, um, and they gave it to us to look at, and we we uh, remembered this occurrence of when our parents, you know, our parents stopped drinking uh, the, the the French wine, and and it sort of sparked something in us. We 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 didn't think the screenplay was all there, but we we went up to Chateau Montelena, we went to Northern California, checked everything out, and and we thought this could be the making of a great independent film.
0: Well, so. it is, and. Well, People kind of poo poo uh, the story a little bit and think of it as a small historical uh, uh, point in time. But it, as far as the California economy and what people thought of California, right there in 1976, it really made a swing. There was, uh, people no longer looked down their nose at products that came not only from California, but from, from America, uh, I think, after the judgment of Paris.
1: You know, it's, what, what's really funny about it, because, you know, when you make an independent film, you're. You're 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 beg borrowing stealing to get the thing made, right? So mm-hmm. we went up to to Northern California. and We were thinking, you know, how are we going to afford some of these grand locations? And uh, we'd meet vintner after vintner, and and they'd say the three most important events in the history of California wine was first this phylloxera, which was this plight that happened to the rootstock. Second was the Judgment of Paris, this event, and third was Sideways, and they <laughs> and it was because it had such an impact. So they. They, they said, you know, you want to make a movie about Chardonnay? We're, you know, we're there. You know, we'll help you. So that's, that's, how, it, that's how we came to realize that this was something that, um, A, we could get made, but also there would be a great interest in, at least we knew in California there'd be a great interest in it.
2: Well, you've certainly done justice to the look of the, the Napa Valley. You shot some beautiful vistas, and it, it looks fantastic. Uh, and, and I'm sure that's what you set out to do, but you did a terrific job with the, with the look of this film as well.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, my my uh, my DP, Mike Osher, and I and Jody, all three of us went to film school together. We went to uh, went to AFI together, and um, I always liked the the sort of the the sweeping movies of George Stevens and some of the other great uh, filmmakers that shot in widescreen. and And when you're in a location like that, where you know you have such amazing vistas, um, the idea was to basically shoot it. You know, even the most inconsequential conversation in a in a in a large widescreen. You know, mm-hmm. um, that that was the the thinking all along, and and so, you know, the great thing about Northern California and the wine country, it hasn't changed. And you know, it was thirty five years ago is when the story takes place, but um, but it really hasn't changed. You know, the vineyards are the vineyards, and and that's what we were trying to capture.
0: Yeah, uh, I've got to ask, have you? tasted i know it's a 1976 <laughs> or it was a 72 i think the, yeah. the montalena chardonnay have have you tasted that does somebody have a bottle i know it's not no, the no you
1: can't you know chardonnay only lasts about yeah. you know t- t- 15 years or so they opened it uh they they did a another taste testing of it and uh and it, it did taste it did taste pretty good but yeah. i've had the chateau montalena chardonnay it's um it's really fabulous it's uh and I'm not, and I wasn't a big Chardonnay person because I always I always got a headache when I had white wine <laughs> yeah. and and, uh, and this stuff is is, is pretty amazing so um,
0: and a bottle sits at the Smithsonian just to yeah. show the, the the impact of this on our on our culture
1: yeah I mean what what's great about it for, for as a movie is and you talk about being a relatively small personal event well that's what's great about it in a movie you know in a movie I think you have to first have the characters and the event has to be Personal, so that we can identify with it. The fact that it had this gigantic global repercussion was was, was what really makes it a great movie, I think. And uh-huh. you know, and uh, I liken the movie to you know a movie like Billy Elliot or you know or something like that, where it's basically a small event, but it has this sort of sweeping feel to it in the end. And and that's and you know that's that's what uh that's what I was trying to get across so hopefully that you you know you get a charge out of that yes.
0: we're speaking with Randall Miller the movie is Bottle Shock Mike did you no that's what, I was just going to bring that up that we're speaking
2: with Randall Miller uh, and uh um <laughs> uh, the uh the movie's the, bottle shock. The movies, <laughs> bottle the movie's shock. bottle <laughs> shock. Yeah, <laughs> bottle shock. Did we get that in enough? Um, yeah, I think
1: so. It's bottle shock. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now you've uh, you've got a, a, a very good ensemble cast here, and I wanted to run uh, a couple of the the, the names. Uh, obviously, Rickman and Chris Pine are sort of the uh, the lead engines in in this film.
0: What what do you have going with Alan Rickman? Because he's in.
1: in <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we have. The funny thing is, is that Jody and I. They, I mean, we sound like we, we sound like we're a machine, but we're just basically two people in a house with you know a bunch of interns and and assistants and stuff making movies. <laughs> but we made a movie um, last year. It was called Nobel Sun, which is actually going to come out this November. That we made before this movie, um, and and that stars Alan Rickman as a Nobel Prize winner. And we and we didn't know uh, Alan before that time. We just were really persistent, and we we got him to read the script. And he responded, and then we were at uh, the Tribeca Film Festival uh, with that film. It was a year ago, April, and, um, and we were thinking about doing this movie, the, the Bottle Shock movie. And, of course, I'm a big pitch person. I, you know, I'm always selling, trying to get things going. Uh, yeah. That's how you, you're always on a treadmill when you're making independent movies. And uh, I said to Alan, I said, I have this great role. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. It's, it's beautiful. It's funny and this and that. And he said, I want to read it. I said, great, and then I went back to Jody and I said, so the good news is I think he's going to do it. The bad news is he wants to read something because we hadn't written it, really. His part wasn't in the original draft, and we were, were working on it. So we went back to this little apartment. We were staying in New York, and, and we wrote 20 pages, and we gave it to him dutifully, and, 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 I, and he agreed to do it. So that was Alan Rickman. We had to work out his schedule. We got him. And then Bill Pullman, we'd worked with also in, in that same film, and so we got Bill. And then Chris Pine, um, we saw him in a play at the Geffen, and it was, he was just great. It was a nearly butte play, and he, he just really captured the stage, and we, we basically took a chance with him, and then... As coincidence, you know, might be he's now going to be Captain Kirk in the next Star Trek. So he's, <laughs> oh my he's had goodness. quite a meteoric rise, you know, in the last wow. year.
2: Well, wow, that's fantastic. Well, and I we you mentioned Bill Pullman, and I really can't. Uh, I have to mention Freddie Rodriguez, who I'm I've been yeah. a fan of from his television roles, and it's good to see him on the big screen.
1: And Freddie, you know, I I I'd love that movie Bobby that he was in, and uh, yeah. he was fantastic in Six Feet Under. And so we we, we got him to, to do it, you know, and then Rachel Taylor, who's the um, plays the intern in the in the movie, the blonde intern, she she was in this movie Transformers and then she read for us and uh, she has actually a very thick Australian accent and she, she pulls oh. it off quite nicely, as uh, the American accent. Oh
0: yeah. 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 I, I didn't have a clue on that one. No.
1: Yeah, and uh, then Eliza Dushku was actually in that in Nobel Sun as well and she's uh, she's gonna be uh, seeing this this fall in a, a new series for uh, the guy who did Buffy the Vampire Slayer called Dollhouse, and then Bradley Whitford's a friend who's who we've tried to work with a number of times, um, and and that uh, Miguel who's, Sandoval who's, who's in it who's a character actor plays uh plays the old uh, Mexican guy who oh yeah yeah he's, helps out.
2: and also uh, you got a what I what I guess would be referred to as a character actor who you see in a lot of things and you see him on Law and Order now but Dennis Farina yeah. who, who is a he's just one of those solid guys he he really brings I, I think of get shorty and just so many of the roles he's been in he he just he has the persona that he I sort of brings along with him when you see him on screen but he does it. he's he's always good he
1: he's he plays uh you know alan rickman's sort of uh friend and uh, yeah. confidant in the movie and right. and you can just imagine that you know the first moment they met each other at Alan was like, who's this guy that you just put me in the scene with? Yeah. Because he's he's so different, you know. He's mm-hmm. from Chicago, and he's got this rough edge about him. And uh, the combination of the two of them together was just brilliant.
2: I believe he's a former policeman. Yeah, so, he was for yeah, 20 years. Yeah, now. so he has that edge, for sure, yes, real. Exactly. Um, and, and I've read a couple of the reviews of Bottle Shock, and, and one of them uh, pointed out that this film has sort of an Altman-esque feel to it. Uh, and I wanted to ask you now that you've had a couple of films with a number of the same people in it, is that, is that something that you would like to continue to sort of work with a core group of actors that you kind of bring uh, bring to each of your projects? Is that well, something I, you, know, can... you
1: know? There's there's a certain um, I don't know. It's a certain communication thing, and um, definitely that that it helps when you're working with people you know. Um, uh, Alan Rickman, we just we just adore. You know, I mean, we've worked with Mary Steenburgen a couple of times, and Danny DeVito a few times. And you know we just really adore these these people who are individuals, and yet they're part of the team, you know, which is great. And uh, um, and and that's and that I think actually, when you're making an independent film like this, and you don't have a huge budget, everybody has to sort of um, jump on the bandwagon and 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 do whatever they can. I mean, in fact, Alan's been doing press for us, you know, for 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 the better part of a month, you know, and. Mm-hmm and that's that's something you don't really find with big studio films and and you need that because we're all kind of in it together and uh and that's how we see it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's now, good to see. Yeah, we're speaking with Randall Miller. The film is Bottle Shock and you're talking about Dennis Farina. Uh got to say he gets the award for the most outrageous 70s uh wardrobe
1: <laughs> that I've seen in quite a while.
0: Talk yeah. a little bit about that. He had was it Julian Kreiner?
1: Yeah, uh Julian Krainer, she yeah. uh She's she's actually from New Orleans, and she specializes in um, in '70s stuff. I mean, she has a warehouse full of '70s wardrobes. She's she's that's her métier. And uh, the the outfits that uh, Dennis Freen is wearing, I, th- I think my dad wore some of the outfits. Actually, <laughs> you know, he yeah. he, he yeah. passed away, so I you know I can I can pretty much say whatever I want about him. But <laughs> but he uh, yeah. there are these there are some pretty loud check suits there that well you know, the one at the contest yeah right? I mean yeah, yeah. He, he, takes the yeah, if you need a crossing guard, he'd the perfect <laughs> outfit yeah. stop traffic with that thing. The,
2: this is a little bit of a min- minutia question, but what is the lapel button that he's wearing when he's sitting in the shop with?
1: He's the, wearing the bicentennial button. That's what uh, it was. I couldn't. Yeah, I it good. looked
2: so familiar, and yet yeah. I just couldn't. I couldn't quite pin it down, so to speak. Uh, yeah, it was good, a, it's a nice touch. Yeah, it was yeah. nice touch.
0: Now, in the Paris tasting itself, I know I've read that. Just took place in a regular hotel suite somewhere or a, yeah. a convention room. But, but you sp- chose a special location yeah. for this for a number of reasons. One is the budget that you couldn't go to Paris. Talk a little bit about that location where the, you uh, staged the tasting. Well, it,
1: um, it wasn't really just the budget. I mean, wh- what happened was is that um, when we did the research, the the tasting happened in the Hotel Intercontinental in, in, uh, in Paris, and it was actually kind of like a Holiday Inn. It was very bland you know, white room with a, with a kind of a terrace off the side. And it was, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty uh, boring for the end of the movie. I mean, the end of the movie, you're supposed to be taken on this journey, right? And uh, so I wasn't sure. We went to Oakland. We went to San Francisco. We found the rooms that looked exactly like that, that room. And, and I was kind of unhappy. And, um, and we were up in the uh, Kenwood area, and we were going looking at wineries, you know, for various locations. And I saw on this desk of this, this guy of a general manager of a, of a winery, this picture of this place, you know, and, and, and I said, Whoa, what is that? And he said, Oh no, 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 You can't possibly film there. I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. I don't want to film. there. I just want to see it (laughs) (laughs) knowing full well that I was going to try and film there. Of course. (laughs) And it's, it's a historic uh, landmark. It's one of the first uh, wineries in California. It's a Scottish winery that was in ruins you know and it was absolutely spectacular so he took us out to this place i walked around and i said this is amazing you know the the front entrance is kind of a, it's in the shape of a decanter uh the the walls have uh, trees growing out of them you know it's it's basically the ruins of a of a beautiful winery something you would find in Tuscany or mm-hmm. or maybe in Greece it's it's absolutely spectacular and um and so we decided to set the the, I was going to set the uh, event there, and he said, "Oh, I don't know." And and I sort of caught a glimmer in his eye with the whole the whole notion of Hollywood and everything. And I and I said, "Do you, do you want to be an extra in this scene?" And that sealed the deal for him. So you'll see in the movie, there's one judge on the far left hand side. Well, that's the general manager of Kunde. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, he was very happy, and he was very gracious, and we ended up filming there at this at this gorgeous location. But that's that was the thinking there was to try and create something that would transport us and give us you know something as beautiful in in France because it it felt like it would be sort of um, anticlimactic if we we in, didn't do that
2: In your previous filmmaking experience have you ever uh, have you ever done something like this before where you leveraged a, a, a shot location or some other part of the film production for uh, for an appearance by somebody in a film, is this a, sure? Yeah, all the time. I would think I would think that that's got to be one of the. Why well, you have a location, Mike? Is that what you <laughs> yeah, do? I have a fantastic. You, I mean, I'm telling you, this ocean view thing, and uh, I would imagine that you this is your currency, right? I mean, you you don't well, have a lot I of mean, money. You've got to be able to yeah. to negotiate for these kinds of things. I mean, it's, it,
1: not, it's, it's not It it's not doesn't take any away from the film. No, and, no, and it, and I mean the guy if he, if he if he didn't look right, but he was yeah. You know, he was a, he was a really interesting looking guy, and yeah. uh, in the right suit with the '70s look. I mean, he he was perfect. So. The, and the
0: location is beautiful. It is the location it's really. Well, not... I, you know, I had, had I not read this, I'd have figured you went to Paris or, or yeah. outside of yeah. Paris, and this was something that looked exactly like the location itself. Right. where it Was interesting. now
2: now the result of the judgment in Paris uh, of Paris is is fantastic for the Californians. Uh, what reaction? Now, obviously, the French didn't come out on the on the better end of this. Uh, how, what's their sort of their what was their immediate reaction? You must have read something about how they all took it in and absorbed yeah. it and digested it. But as we've moved uh, you know t- thirty two years later, did, how do did they see it now and, is, and and how did they see it when it happened?
1: Well, I mean it's what's really interesting about the about the the thing is it's the different judges had different reactions. Some of the judges were just confused and actually were kind of open minded in the fact that they were confused and they weren't as angry. Other judges, there was Odette Kahn, who was the, the woman in the scene. Yeah. She was very angry and, and insisted to have her scorecard back, and Stephen Spurrier wouldn't give it back because mm. it, was his, it was his taste testing. And many of them said, you know, had we known it wasn't a blind, if it wasn't a blind tasting, of course we would have chosen the French wines. So that doesn't <laughs> make a lot of sense. Uh, but it but was them. definitely um, an outcry in France um, but what's interesting is that's coming from mostly from the sort of uh, upper crust um, judges, you know, the the critics. Yeah. If you if you go to the farmers, the farmers in in many ways are just like the farmers in California. I mean, they're they're basically farmers who produce wine, and that's how most of the the world, you know, the way the the, the vintners are. They're they're very free with exchanging ideas yeah. and and techniques and everything. So. Yeah. What's interesting is, in terms of Stephen Spurrier, he did have a really hard time for the two years following the, the taste testing because um, he had a small shop in Paris. It was really tough for him, and he ultimately sold the shop and 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 moved back to to Great Britain. But uh, but he has become a very well known name in the in the in the wine business. I mean, he's not quite at the level of Robert Parker, but he's one of the leading, you know, people who speaks on the you know, lecture circuit, he's at Sotheby's, at Christie's, at all these places, you know, talking about yeah. wine and, and the and the different things about wine. So he's had a, a meteoric rise, you know, afterwards, you know, yeah, yeah. but um, but well, it has had, it did have a, it, it did really level the playing field. And that's, and that's kind of, you know, what we were trying to do. Yeah. I mean, one critic called the movie Rocky for wine aficionados. Yeah. And in a way that's true, because I don't know if you remember the movie, but in Rocky, he doesn't win, he just makes it to the fight. And that's, and that's what we were trying to say. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a real sort of uh, eye opening thing for for the world. And and um, and it was it probably would have happened eventually without this taste testing, but um, but it was like the catalyst that basically broke it open for everyone.
2: And it took some time before the uh, obviously the manufacturing capability of California got to a point where they could begin to challenge the the French and and just in terms of selling wine. And well, of...
1: no. What happened was okay. this, this, this guy from Time Magazine, It was a stringer. He was basically, as we describe him, almost a ghostwriter because he had never really had his name in print. He was just a stringer. He was the only guy that Spurrier could get. He could get the critics, but he couldn't get reporters there. you know. And he got this one guy from Time Magazine who wrote this article and ended up in the, in the summer of 76, ended up in Time Magazine about page 60 or something. And two weeks later, the California wine sold out of New York, LA, and Chicago, and that's what started things. I mean, yeah. it, it happened overnight. It was—there was the—we was the, had the wine, oh, I see. we just didn't have the interest in the wine.
2: I got you, because I, I always assumed that we didn't have the, the manufacturing capacity yeah. yet, but we did. Well, that's Yeah, I
1: mean, what's funny is, is like, you know, uh, Beau Barrett, you know, um, who's, you know, obviously the, the, the winemaker there— now you know i've gotten to know these guys and he says there's a lot of similarities between independent filmmaking and making wine and i and i was like what and he says well you know you can you can make a a bottle of wine relatively inexpensively but to sell a bottle of wine is really expensive mm. because you can't get anyone to actually taste it you know there's so many bottles on a shelf mm-hmm. and um and that's true. That's true of independent films. You make your independent film relatively inexpensively, but how do you get people to go see it? How do you get the, how do you get the theaters? How do you get the marketing, you know, the studios have. So that's Well, that, true.
2: that's why you have shows like Film School. That's right. That's, that's so, exactly. So we yeah. are we are your judgment of Paris here. So, uh, <laughs> oh, no, uh, of oh, this <laughs> I,
0: w- I want to know well, <laughs> well, we're speaking I, what, with what Randall
2: you, Miller yeah. and the film is Bottle Shock. Dang okay, what, you thank serve, you. what you served
0: what you served at the cast party? It was was it stag's leap at the cast party? <laughs>
1: No, you know, it was really great. We, we, had, um, we were at Sundance. We, had a, we, we got into Sundance. Uh, you know, we made the movie uh, last summer. Um, we shot, started shooting August 1st, and then we wrapped it halfway through September. And, and I had had a movie at Sundance, so it was like a big hustle to, to, to even get a, a cut. I, I gave it to him on November 1st. They accepted it right around Thanksgiving. And we hustled to get to, to Sundance. So then, then the thing was, okay, so how are we going to do like an event or something and um, we, fortunately, the Barretts, I'd shown them the movie, and they liked it. And I said, well, can you think you'd get some wine to Sunday? <laughs> end, right? Well, of course, you know, Utah's a, a dry state, you know, because mm-hmm. of the whole Mormon thing, right? Oh, yeah. So, so they had right. to literally sell their wine to themselves, you know, in Utah. But we did get the stag sleep because uh, we had to have that as oh, sort of a, a, a token thing. And we had <laughs> the Chateau Montalena as well. And um, and we actually Heidi Barrett, who is married to Beau Barrett, who's a very well-known vintner of her own, she had her wine. So we had some really nice wines at our at our party in Sundance. This,
2: this is a wine question, and, yeah. and uh, if you don't know, i, I but I the, the difference between French and California wine has been described to me as the difference between tasting the French uh, wines tend to taste like soil, the soil they're in, and the and the, the California. Wines tend to taste like the grapes, more like the grapes that that, that are. I, I'd you, say like the barrel, but barrel. Okay, yeah. maybe that's the <laughs> distinction. Is, is that a fair? Is that fair to say? Or is I don't know. Say, you know, it,
1: the, unfortunately, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's one of those suggestive things. Like if I handed you a glass of French wine, I said, "This is a French wine," you'd go, "Of course, it's a French wine." It's just like the blind taste test thing. If yeah. yeah. I told you, "Okay, this is a California wine," you are yeah. tasting. Yeah. You would taste that. I mean, I think if you're I think if you you really analyze it, I think it's um, the techniques are all basically the same. I mean, they basically are doing the same thing. Yeah. The, a lot of the French uh, growers now um, have come over to Napa and are and are growing grapes there for different, you know, because of certain soil content and certain light and all that kind of stuff and heat, you know. So it's all pretty mixed up. There's not you know there's not really a specific taste i mean okay. it has to do with the taste of the of the vintner deciding they like this particular taste or that particular nice. taste but but um but a lot of the wine now is made believe it or not to liking of what they think robert parker will score it you know like hmm. robert parker has become you know if you get a 97 from robert parker whether you're an argentine wine or a chilean wine you're golden yeah right right so so Unfortunately, there's not really a
2: distinctive.
1: I don't think so. Okay. I mean, people will say it. People will say, "Oh, of course, this is Italian wine. I can tell it's an Italian wine." But uh, I, I w- doubt if they didn't see the label, they would mess. Nef- nef- <laughs> I was,
2: I was just trying to sound like a wine snob, yeah. and I just didn't, I couldn't pull it off. Well, you failed miserably. I failed I miserably, know, Randall. I want to really thank you so much for the film. The film is playing down here, right across the street from where we're sitting at the University Town Center. But I know it's rolling out across the country and for all of our uh, loyal uh, webcasts or podcasting people to to be sure and check it out. It's Bottle Shock and the director is our, our guest today, Randall Miller. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI dot org slash film school.